to the Paydia Podcast. I'm Dr. Bernie. And I'm Dr. Richard. And we're finally here where we've been trying to, with the topic that we've been trying to get to for weeks and weeks and weeks. And we're here today to talk about Common Core. Yes, finally. Finally. We've, co- we've collected as much information as we can. Uh, there's still, it, it's surprising at how difficult it was to get information, good information, uh, about Common Core. It is. Um, when, you, when you go, you know, you're, everybody, all listeners who have children in school, um, you're going to be hearing more and more about something called Common Core. But as you go to look it up, the problem is you have um, the official explanation uh, of what they did. And then you have writers who defend Common Core, and then you have the opponents to Common Core. Right. And depending on who you read, um, it's a little bit different. It's a little. It differs <laughs> from it differs uh, from writer to writer, depending on whether they agree with Common Core or they disagree with Common Core. And we must say there's a great deal of anxiety, and also some opposition to Common Core. Right. Um, and so uh, we uh, you have to be careful when you go into the the uh, articles and the literature on Common Core because it really does depend on who's writing it. Right. Right. And and so the way that we're going to try to present this today is. Just with the information that we could find, um, right. we will certainly provide some of our impressions and our opinions, uh, but most of the information is really going to, we're, we're going to try to restrict it to fact or, or as close to fact as we could find. Right. Is that fair right. to say? Hopefully we will. Yes. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So um, just as a very brief piece of background, you mm-hmm. know, we've talked in previous podcasts uh, about the history of our current school reform. Uh, We've talked already uh, in past episodes how, you know, we got on this path that we're on now back in the 1980s with um, A Nation at Risk, the the paper that was written at that time, talking about how concerning it was that our our schools were falling behind uh, other nations. um, And that sort of began the ball rolling to get us... Well, I mean, it got us to where we are now. That's right. Uh, but it was different iter- iterations over the years. Right. Based right. upon the administration and <clears throat> other factors. Mm-hmm. So, um, and where we, uh, as that ball was rolling, we went through, of course, um, the, the Clinton administration, uh, the Bush administration, and now the Obama administration. And, you know, we all probably know best No Child Left Behind. Uh, we've, we've, been, we've grown very familiar with uh, No Child Left Behind, and sometimes it's called Nickleby. Uh, so you, you hear right. it in different, uh, different ways that it's referred to. And, of course, most recently, on December 10th of this year, uh, every, the Every Student Succeeds Act was signed by President Obama, and it is set to be implemented mm-hmm. in mid-January. Right, January 17th. And with the Every Student Succeeds Act, there are similar um, <laughs> dichotomous views of, of that uh, act as well, just as there was with No Child Left Behind, where there are those who are saying that this is a great um, movement in, in the right direction, uh, whereas there's others who are saying, um, for any good that you can see in this act, there are just as many concerns and just as many problems as we've had in the past. So uh, as with anything that begins uh, from a government perspective, I think that you have people who you have these diametrically opposed positions uh, that people 
tend to get their feet firmly planted within, mm-hmm. um, and it's difficult to move them. Right. So right. regardless of which one we're talking about, No Child Left Behind, uh, the Every Student Succeeds Act, uh, both of these are, are going to include Common Core. Um, it, include, it kind of yes. keeps us in the direction of moving towards Common Core. Right. So let's right. talk about what Common Core is. Right. So um, Common Core, uh, though it's only now becoming um, commonplace, Common Core becoming commonplace, um, the um, development can be traced way back to 2008. Um, And um, at the time, Janet Napolitano was the head of the National Governors Association, which is not an official body. It's sort of a loosely uh, configured group. It makes it sound Uh, very official. But it sounds very official. And it makes it sound like all the governors are involved. And all the governors are not involved. Oh. Right? Some are, some aren't. It's kind of voluntary. But she was ahead of that. And uh, what the NGA is, is, uh, focuses on what students need to learn to be competitive in the job market. So this was a, um, this was a political discussion um, about uh, public policy. Right. What, do, what do American students need? Well, if, if, but the impetus for this uh, interest, uh, as usual, can be traced back to 1983. Right. With the right. publication of A Nation at Risk. Right. And we've talked about that on the program before. It was during Reagan's administration. And, <clears throat> excuse me, a good way to think about Common Core is to organize it by president. Right. Okay. So if you go back to the Reagan administration, you have Reagan, Bush the first, right. Clinton, Bush the second, and now Obama. So you have five presidents who have been integrally involved in... Um, an interest in education. It begins with Ronald Reagan's administration and his secretary of education wrote this 46 or 50 page pamphlet called A Nation at Risk, which was really the first shot. It was really the first volley in this idea that American students are falling behind other countries and uh, we're going to get behind in manufacturing and technology and science and education if we don't do something about our educational system. So that was 1983. In the first Bush administration in 1989, George H.W. Bush developed what he called Goals 2000. So in 1989, he said by the year 2000, he wanted to develop um, um, what goals we should be pursuing in education, and he wanted to have these in place by 2000. Well, in 1994, during the Clinton administration, he, during the Clinton administration, we reauthorized the Elementary and Secondary Education Act. Uh, It was up for reauthorization. That happened in 1994. And what the significance of that is that the Clinton administration said that in the reauthorization, all states would have rigorous standards. Right. And this is what Goals 2000 was about, was that um, George H.W. Bush wanted to include content standards. In other words, what content do we want our students to learn? 
That was in 1989. By 1994, these standards, these rigorous standards of performance, are in federal law in the Edu Elementary and Secondary Education Act. By 2001, under the second Bush administration, these standards are incorporated into No Child Left Behind. Now, what, the, what these um, policies do is mainly three things. Number one, that we would have high academic standards and high expectations. So beginning with the first Bush administration, we would have high academic standards, high expectations. Number two, we would develop tests that are more challenging than, right. the, than the test, than the norm reference test. When we were in school, we took the SAT or the Iowa or the Terra Nova. Um, all of us took some kind of achievement test at the end of the year to see how we were doing. But now states were charged with developing more challenging tests to make sure that each state was meeting this challenge of maintaining high standards and high expectations. And the third part of this thing, these, these reforms, was that somebody would be held accountable right. for meeting the standards. And if you weren't meeting the standards, somebody was going to be held accountable. Well, who do you hold accountable? can't hold the parents accountable because they're not involved. You hold the students accountable and you hold their teachers accountable, right. teachers, administrators, and schools. So we have high standards that are tested and somebody is held accountable. So those are the three sort of legs of this uh, reform stool that we're talking about. Right. And, and if you jump back to, if you haven't already listened to it, back to episode five of pa the Paydia podcast, uh, we went into a lot of detail about those three areas mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. because we believe, you know, again, not taking either side of direct opposition or, or, or blind opposition or, or blind um, agreement, you know, these approaches appear to be done with good hope. You know, the, the, it was good aspirations. It was good and a good idea for us to try to address some of these issues. And, and if you look at, you know, what was happening at the time, these decisions made sense. I mean, right. just at, at some level. You know, the, obviously the problem is with the implementation or how one would implement them at all. That's a, you, you, you just, um, that's where the rubber meets the road here, you, the nail on the head or whatever other analogy you want to use. It is, how are they implemented? The aspirations right. are great. You want high expectations. You want to hold somebody accountable. But the devil is in the details and the details are in the implementation. Right, right. right. And so... Um, so what you have now is that um, you have No Child Left Behind being signed into law in 2001. And then in 2008, you have the National Governors Association saying, we need to sort of codify these standards and develop this rigorous curriculum right. so that while we had No Child Left Behind in 2001 to 2014, because that's ESSA replaces... Right. No Child, no left, child left Behind in right. 2015. Um, so No Child Left Behind was 2001 to 2015. But remember, halfway through that in 2008, you have the National Governors Association saying, we need to develop these standards and, and implement a, um, a national educational policy 
that assures that all students are achieving these rigorous standards. Right. That's what Common Core was was mainly about. Right. And so there's there's the birth of or at least the conception That's right. of of Common Core. Mm-hmm. And, and again, it was built out of the idea that we need a certain level of a standard, which is a, a valiant cause, mm-hmm. be, because we agree. And again, as we talked about in episode five, you know, the the idea is very good that we need to make sure that students in, you know, students in the New York system, students in the California system, and students in the rural areas of Tennessee and Kentucky and you know other areas of the country that they're that all the students are receiving a similarly um, comprehensive education. That's right. That's right. And so that the idea of doing this is, is very uh, sound. Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's a good aspiration. Uh, again, we'll we'll get to, into more detail with some of that stuff in a few minutes. Right. But uh, that's where it was born, or, or at least conceived. Right. And then over the years, uh, it has it has grown into other things. You know, other people have gotten their hands in the mix. Um, in particular, companies have gotten their hands in the mix, and that has evolved, made it evolve into something a little bit more concerning, I, I guess right. you could say. Right. Yeah, because what happened was when the National Governors Association made this decision that it would be good policy for the United States to have a curriculum that will um, assure that every student uh, meets these high standards, they then met with the second group, which was the um, called the uh, Council of Chief State School Officers, CCSSO. The count. So I like how everything goes to an acronym. Everything's an acronym. So we had the National Governors Association in conjunction with the Council of Chief State School Officers. Those two groups got together, and they developed the Common Core. They they put together a committee Mm -hmm. comprised of NGA and CCSSO, and they put together a committee that hammered out what the content standards were Mm -hmm. going to be in Common Core. And the idea was that they would decide what is taught in America's schools across the United States— so that if a student living in Indiana moved to California in November, they were doing the same thing in California. Students in California were doing the same thing as students were doing in Indiana on approximately the same day. Okay, That's, that's good because we, we have a mobile um, society right now. People move around a lot. And so rather than losing time um, or, or being ahead of schedule, we'll try to develop this, this national content um, so that regardless of if a, if a child moves or not, they're, they're still in the same curriculum. So that right. part is, des- I think that's a desirable goal. Right. Um, so, so Common Core establishes a national standard of what's taught in our schools across the United States. And then the second part of their mission was to provide students a world-class education and to prepare them for college and career. Right. So that's, a, again, what's called an aspirational goal. So Common Core is a set of uniform benchmarks to ensure that a high school graduate from any state will be ready for college. 
Right. Okay, that, 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 that was its primary goal. And that um, what we wanted was um, to prepare U.S. students to compete against students from countries like China and Singapore whose standardized test scores have surged ahead of ours. So we go back to 1983 with no child, with uh, um, with uh, uh, a nation at risk, and we're saying our students aren't keeping up. Now, where the where the opposition to this starts. So this all sounds good, right? Okay. So right. up to this point, everything sounds good. Where the problems begin to occur is that. The money for this uh, committee to pay for travel and expenses and time was provided mainly by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Right. And there are people who believe that this should have not been private money. It should have been a government-funded, free of influence. Right. Because the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has an agenda. When it comes to education, right. they put huge amounts of money in a Hillsborough County project that they did a few years ago, $100 million, okay? Um, whether it works or not, of course, we don't know, but everybody's willing to take Gates Foundation money. And so this was funded by this project, the, the development of these standards was funded by the Gates Foundation, and many people feel that there's, a, there's an inherent conflict of interest in having Gates Foundation money. The other detail that people argue with, uh, there are two other details that they argue with. One is with who was on the committee. Right. This was a small group of individuals. Now, right. they, 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 they let this out for some of it out for public discussion, but they sort of kept their dealings secret. And while they had a few teachers on the committee, there were also people on the committee who, um, ha who some believe had a um, separate agenda, private agenda. For example, one of the developers, the, the person who was tasked to lead this committee was a man by the name of David Coleman. He happened to be um, uh, treasurer of Michelle Rees' public relations, uh, public advo advocacy group called Students First. Now, for those of you who don't know, Michelle Rhee was the embattled um, superintendent uh, of schools in Washington D.C. Right. during the Bush administration, and she was the she believes in charter schools and magnet schools and privatization. Her philosophy is um, that charter schools and magnet schools and private schools um, do better than uh, public schools. So she is not a friend to public education. So this David Coleman, who who worked. Uh, with Michelle Rhee. Michelle Rhee also came to the state of Florida and worked on Jeb Bush's right. um, educational group. She also went to Texas and worked with them. So it's very uh, clear that Michelle Rhee is not a friend of public education. She purports to be, but in fact she isn't. And many people are concerned that a person like David Coleman, who is attached to Michelle Rhee, would be one of the people developing these standards. Um, one of the things that... Um, Students First, uh, in their mission statement, includes, includes support of school choice and parent advocacy and tying teacher evaluations to student outcomes. So her policies are, um, are not in line with what most teachers believe is best practice, is uh, um, favorable to public schools, because if we, if we have school choice, uh, the, the the students who are able to uh, 
uh, who are welcomed in, in a school um, are going to get an education. And if they're not welcome, those students are going to have to be educated somewhere. And that's probably going to be what's left in public schools. After the, after the, the good schools select all the students they want, what's going to be left are students with emotional, behavioral, and academic problems. Right. That's what teachers are arguing. But, so Michelle Ree um, and her philosophy is that teachers' evaluation should be tied to student outcomes. We're going to talk about that, what the problem with that, in a minute. Um, and the third complaint about Common Core, uh, so the first complaint is, um, is the people involved, the second complaint is the money involved, and the third complaint is that um, there are people in the country who believe that, especially libertarians and, and progressives who, who believe that um, this, is, this represents a national takeover of education. Right. And the way the Constitution is written is education has been a state and local issue, and now this is the federal government coming in and saying, this is how you're going to do things. That was the problem with No Child Left Behind, is that No Child Left Behind represented the first major incursion of the federal government into um, what had uh, heretofore been a, a state and local issue, that is education. Um, and so some people are concerned that this represents a national takeover of, of, of what should be a state issue. So there are three, three concerns that um, people have about Common Core. Right. So, so the, the, the sort of bottom line with it is that although it was derived initially from these sound, for these sound reasons, for these good reasons, mm-hmm. it has turned into something of a monster. Um, and, you know, the way that it continues to be developed and, and promoted and, and, and really pressured, you know, it, it's, not like, it, it's not like this is coming easily. You know, mm-hmm. the, these, this entire process is coming in, in somewhat of a, a forceful manner, if you will. Uh, schools are given very little opportunity, though, though there are some districts and even some states who have refused to take on Common Core. Uh, there are many states who are welcoming it almost blindly without really even looking at what's going on, looking at what's, what's happening and, and what the research and what the, because there really isn't much research, uh, what the documents are really saying and what the really, really the expectations are. Right. And I think that your point about the, the, the money does raise a lot of concerns. You know, right. when, you have, when you have publishing companies... Mm-hmm. Um, and when you have, you know, it's really difficult to get a firm idea as to how much money has gone into the development of Common Core. But with just a very quick um, search through Google, you find, you know, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars are allocated to it here. Um, $150 million of it is allocated to this state for this project. And, you know, the Gates Foundation is, is putting this much money here. And, you know, New York State has been granted this, this many hundreds of, thousands, hundreds of millions of dollars uh, to, to create a program there. There is a lot of money built into this. Right. And, and, you know, when you kind of trace it all down, it really comes down to just a handful of people um, and one real company that's benefiting from all of this money. You know, right. Pearson is making a ton of money mm-hmm. from Common Core. Um, and, and Gates Foundation is donating a ton of money to this, to, to, for this, to promote their ideas and to promote their 
their their goals. Let me let me put a number on a ton of money. Yeah. In the state of Texas, it's five hundred million. Right. For the for the testing. Right. Okay, that's right. what the contract is worth in the state of Texas. Let me give you another example. Um, this man David Coleman, mm-hmm. uh, who worked with Michelle Ree, who um, David Coleman is the co- he co-founded Student Achievement Partners that was purchased by a publishing company called McGraw Hill. Right. He is now the CEO of College Board. Which does the The SAT, SAT, the ACT, and all those tests. Okay. So what people are concerned about is when you have somebody like Coleman, who is the head of this group to develop Common Core, he's also the CEO of SAT. Right. The College Board is going to make a ton of money by aligning their tests with Common Core. Right. And as many parents have learned, if you have a child applying for college, the SAT changed this year. It, it changes. Uh, the first new administration is in February or March, right? Okay. And the new test is aligned with Common Core. Right. So guess what everybody's going to... So even though you don't need SAT scores for some colleges, right? people are going to take the test, but it's going to be aligned with Common Core. Right. So now David Coleman gets to develop the test based on Common Core. Right. How does he get to do that? Because he knows what the standards are for Common Core. A lot of people don't. Right. He does because he developed those standards. Now he's developing a test to test those standards. Right. So once again, people see a conflict. There's hundreds of millions of dollars at stake here. Not, we're not talking about a small... We're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars right. that's at stake for these McGraw-Hill, Pearson, College Board, all these testing companies. That's just the testing companies. There's hundreds of millions of dollars at stake here. And anybody who was in on the development of Common Core is in an advantageous position to, to get their hands on that money first. Right. Okay. So that's that's one of the problems, of, you know, the money, the people. And um, and there, there have been writers who have mentioned that it, it's not so much what they're trying to do as it is the, and I've read this word many times uh, when reading about these things, the cronyism, mm-hmm. the the um, the almost <laughs> incestual. It's incestuous. Um, it is. Mm-hmm. Everybody has multiple roles right. um, from different angles that are are influencing this movement. Mm-hmm. And so, so what we're talking about is is probably the idea behind Common Core is a good one. Right. But when you get the people and the money, when you factor in the people and the money. Um, people with a specific agenda uh, have much to gain by influencing Common Core. Maybe another example. One of the things that Common Core is going to do, it's going to define the standards, which we talked about. Right. It was standards-based. Right. And it's going to define who's held accountable for this. Okay? Right. So you have high standards. You have tests aligned with those standards, and then you have accountability. Now, we've talked about the tests and the testing companies. When we talk about standards, the issue becomes, remember what we keep saying. We always said the devil is in the details. So the devil's in the details of who was on the committee and where'd the money come from and who's going to make money with the tests and products aligned with Common Core. That's one issue. Second issue is standards. Who's developing the standards? The problem with the standards is when you say 
And this is what parents need to watch out for and where we have to, we as parents have to be vigilant. When you say standards, the first question is, who's developing the standards? Right. Because right now, the most obvious problem with standards is occurring at kindergarten. Right. Because what we have is, and you've all heard this phrase, kindergarten is the new first grade. Right. There are actually kindergarten classes where where a teacher is prohibited from allowing students to color. Right. Okay, you're not allowed. Why aren't you allowed to color? Because your students have to be writing sentences. Well, as we all know, there are five-year-olds who can write sentences. There are five-year-olds who can write words. There are five-year-olds who can write letters. And there are five-year-olds who don't even recognize letters. Not all five-year-olds can write a sentence. And no matter how much we badger and cajole and push and punish, some students at age five, at four, five, and six are not going to be able to write those sentences. Right. Yes, it's a gr- it's an aspirational goal. I would love it if all five-year-olds could write a sentence. But not all five-year-olds are capable of doing that. And now we have five-year-olds who don't want to go to school anymore because they can't do what they're being asked to do. They can't achieve that standard. So what we have to make sure of is that our aspirations to achieve these standards doesn't cloud our thinking about child development. And that's what's happening right now. We are, we are, um, we are damaging um, a love of learning, a love of school, because we're asking all children, and this is my problem with Common Core, we're asking all children to, main, to achieve this standard. And if they don't, they're going to, there are going to be consequences to them as well as to their teachers. Right. And that should that's where we get into the accountability part. But right now, let's just focus on the standards. Right. And, and, and what it's creating is, as, we did, as you were just talking about with kindergarten, we are pushing things further and further down right. to younger and younger ages. And there, there was an article written in The Atlantic, uh, in the, the Atlantic's newest um, publication that's for the January, February of 2016, um, called How the New Preschool is Crushing Kids. And one of the things it talks about in there is preschool-level literacy programs. Preschool-level letter- so literacy programs. before they get to This is before they even get to kindergarten. Okay. And one of the things it talked about was a meta-analysis that, was looked, that looked at 13 early childhood literacy programs and how they failed to find any evidence of effects on language or print-based outcomes. Right. So, uh, again, to, to put that into um, human terms, they've looked at 13 programs and found no long-term effects, no real effects, to suggest that those programs have any effect, have any positive outcome as it relates to kids being able to read or write um, comprehensively um, at any at any level better than kids who didn't attend any of those uh, preschool programs. So we're, we continue to do these things. And if you talk to any educator, if you talk to any kindergarten teacher, um, any preschool teacher, any first grade teacher, they know what is developmentally appropriate. They know what kids at those age levels should be able to do. 
And most of them will tell you this isn't appropriate. Right. Mm-hmm. Most of these kids can't do that. They are developmentally fine. From a developmental mm-hmm. perspective, they are completely normal. But they can't meet these expectations. That's right. Yet, the way that we are creating our standards and our expectations is that we are pushing these kids further and further ahead. And they just, normally developing kids just can't keep up with that. Right. And we have lots of concerns for this. Uh, lots of concerns as it, for the future and, and what's going to happen to these children. Because certainly the more that you're in a setting where you can't keep up, the more you're going, the more likely you are to develop an attitude that says, I don't want to be in this environment anymore mm-hmm. because I can't keep up. And so then you create uh, a, a dislike for learning. That's right. Yeah, this is, and, and this actually happened in New York where uh, New York, uh, Governor Cuomo from New York has been pushing, uh, pushing and pushing and pushing um, some of these educational reforms. Well, um, there was a um, study, he, he developed a committee, he formed a uh, study group, and they did a study, and they, New York has, has just uh, found out that some early childhood standards, the, the things we're talking about right now, are inappropriate. And his task force Cuomo's task force. Now, Cuomo is a proponent of Common Core right. uh, and many other educational reforms, much to the dismay of the teachers' union there um, and, and teachers generally, um, as well as some parents. This is a hotbed of the uh, opt-out movement. Right. Uh, right. Long Island was one of the um, was is the epicenter sort of of the opt-out movement, where parents are saying we're not going to have our children uh, tested anymore, and. Um, so Cuomo developed the task force and found out that some of these early childhood standards are indeed inappropriate developmentally, and uh, the task force and and this is a this is really um, useful information that the New York task force is recommending that as we transition into Common Core that we have a transition period until 2019 or to 2020 until the 2019 20. 20 school year right. and say, let's transition slowly. Let's not hurt any students. Let's not do anything drastic. Let's not punish teachers until we're sure that we have the right standards in place. So the, the issue about what standards we want kids to, to achieve is very important. You remember a couple of years ago when California tried to push Algebra 1 down to the 8th grade for mm-hmm. everybody? I right. think it was 8th grade. And they found out that some eighth graders could do that. I think your son took right. A lot mm-hmm. of kids here in, in Polk County will take Algebra One in eighth grade. Some will. Some will. But not all. Right. Okay. Well, when California tried to push that, that everybody would complete Algebra One in eighth grade, they found out that most students couldn't. Um, uh, algebra is a tough subject. You know, right. it's, it's, it's really difficult for some kids. It's especially difficult for kids who don't have a good math background uh, when they come into eighth grade. And so they found out that that was an inappropriate expectation, and they they did away with it. They went back to ninth grade. So um, the New York task force is calling for a transition period uh, until the 2019-2020 school year. They're anticipating that other similar problems are going to arise, this uh, notion of inappropriate standards. The other thing we should mention is that um, another interesting thing about standards is... um, um, that when it comes to standards, um, Common Core is only going to succeed if um, 
if we rein in these um, some of these aspirations, because while the aspirations are good, aspirations are good things, but they have to be realistic and they have to work for everybody. What what one study reported is that U.S. You know, we always talk about the German system and the uh, Japanese educational systems. You know, are superior to ours. Okay. Right. Um, it was reported recently that U.S. math texts present a hundred and seventy five percent more content than German math texts and 350% more content than Japanese math texts. Right. Math texts. And that the same holds for science, that our U.S. science texts have, and this is an accurate number, 930% more content than German texts and 433% more content than Japanese texts. Now let me stop. But their students are outperforming ours. Let's 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 address this because what somebody hearing that will say is, "Well, it's a great thing because we're teaching our kids more things, right? We're providing them with more information, right?" But if we if we stop for a second and we think about the gestalt of this, Mm -hmm. the, the the overall picture of this, what we have is is we have countries and. You know, we're just mentioning Germany and um, China, um, China right. or Japan? China. China. Japan. Japan. Sorry, uh, Germany and Japan. We're mentioning them. We're not even mentioning the country that's at the top of the chart, Finland. Right. Finland and Singapore and those places that right. that perform even better. Right. And do even less. That's right. They because have less instructional time and fewer skills. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so when we look at this big picture, what we're saying is, is that the amount of information that we're trying to provide our students, had, um, despite the fact that it's a, a multiply greater mm-hmm. than these other countries, right. the amount of time we're, we're giving this information to right. our students are of multiples greater than these other countries, right. our students are still performing more poorly. That's right. And if the goal is to have our students do better on these standardized tests, this isn't getting us there. Right. Right. And right. we need to dial it back. Say, well, wait a minute. We're, something's wrong here because the standards that are supposed to get us there are excessive, inappropriate, and not working. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I think that there was the article not too long ago about Finland schools. Mm-hmm. In Finland schools, there's one standardized test. Right. right. Like K-12, there's one standardized test mm-hmm. that happens around in, within the middle school years that says whether you're going to be college-bound or trade-bound. Right. That's right. That's the only test that they take. Right. Um, and, and that test helps make a decision on where which direction you're going uh, for secondary and then post-secondary. But that's it. They they don't they don't do annual tests they don't do um, well here in the United States we have um, four or five or six or forty tests per year these students do it once and so the 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 idea and, and it's a very um, I'll be careful how I say this it's a very American perspective that if we push harder push more that you know the the very american idea that more is better that's right um just isn't holding to when it comes to education when that's it right. comes to trying to to get our kids 
and our students where they need to be. More is not better. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like with medication, That's more right. is not better. That's right. A little penicillin is good, but a lot of penicillin isn't any better. Right, you know, right. right. There, there, mm-hmm. it, there, there is. Or, or three three Tylenols are okay, but eight Tylenols are not going to make you feel better. Your, your liver is just right. not going to help that. Right. But, but we, we reach a plateau That's right. beyond which it's just... Um, it's just too much. Right. And, and the, the concern is, and bringing this back to Common Core, the concern is with Common Core that the, the way that it's developed, the way that the, it's, it's built upon the standards that more is better, that um, younger is better, right. the, the younger that we right. teach these things, the better, mm-hmm. is built on, the, on a false presumption. That's right. And because it's built on this false presumption, Yet, we're in a situation where entire states, right. um, and the idea, of course, is that the entire country is going to move into this. We're, I think our concern is it's doomed to fail. It's, well, it's going to fail for two reasons. Number one, right now we have standards that are inappropriate. Right. Um, I want all students to be ready for college by the time they graduate from high school. But in fact, they're not going to be. Well, well, but even if we stop there... Sixty percent of students won't go to college. Right, and if we say they're career ready, um, what, what does, does that career mean? ready mean? I mean, in Silicon Valley, they want computer programmers. We're not preparing kids to be computer programmers in in, in, in high, high school. school. We're right. doing it in college. We're not doing it in high school. So Silicon Valley wants more scientists. But if the if the problem is too few scientists, what is the solution? Is it to lower the standards? Is it to do more testing? Is it to hold teachers accountable? I don't think anybody's asked that question. Right. That if Silicon Valley wants more scientists, how do we create more scientists? Well, maybe it's Common Core. Maybe there are other solutions. Well, but in, in there, there are those kinds of careers, mm-hmm. but there's also plumbers. There's also welders, um, construction workers. You know, there, there's a lot of other professions that are who's, needed professions. Who's going to take care of the, this highly highly specialized technical equipment that we all rely on now? Right. You Where know, are those technicians? We have, we, we, we laugh because there, there are tests that up until recently were very commonly used, but now they're um, outdated because newer editions of the test came out. But, but talk about shop classes. That's right. Well, students today... Do not know what shop classes are. They don't even know what we're talking about when we ask them about it. Right. They, mm-hmm. they don't understand the concept of right. shop classes because schools don't have shop classes anymore. Right. I remember in, in my high school, we had a, um, we had a, a mechanic program where students right. could work on cars and, and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, th- in, so yours, in your high school. In, in the right. high schools in our area, yeah. Right. There, there mm-hmm. were there, those kinds of programs. So. But we don't have those anymore. We don't have shop classes anymore. We don't have woodworking classes anymore, despite the fact that those are careers that are still out there that people still need. You know, carpentry work, we still need carpenters. We still need people who know how to build houses and people who need to do landscaping and people who need to do these things because that's something that – we value in our community from you know because we need people to do those things, but we seem to not value in education because we act like well you know a, a career is something you go to college for, um, but there's all of these other 
areas, other, right. all these other trades and professions mm-hmm. that are just as important, right. but we're not putting right. any value or any attention to them at all. Right. And so while Common Core and ESSA have these aspirational standards, have these aspirational goals based on high standards, one of the things that that we need, we're asking that everybody keep in mind is the standards may not be appropriate right. for all children at a specific age. Right. Okay. We talked about kindergarten, you know, doing reading and writing that not all those kids are able to do. We have the same thing at high school level. Right. Not all high school students should be reading Shakespeare. Right. They're not interested. They're not able. For whatever reason, not everybody has to read Shakespeare. And yet that's what we, that's what we um, intend. So the problem with standards is, number one, they may not be appropriate, and we need to judge that. Who needs to judge it? I would put that decision in the hands of teachers because they've been there the longest. I was talking to a kindergarten teacher the other day. She's been teaching kindergarten for 15 years. She knows a heck of a lot more about that than I do. And if I want to know what kindergarten standards are, I would ask a person who's been doing it for 15 years. Right. I'd like to have a surgeon who has 15 years of experience versus one who's done one surgery. Right. Okay? So let's let the experts, that is the teachers who have the experience, let's let them weigh in and weigh in on what the standard should be. Second, right. But there's another issue. The second issue is, what do we do with these kids who can't meet that standard? What happens to the five-year-old who can't write a, comp- a paragraph? Right. Does he fail? Does he get an F? Does he not go to the next grade? Right. The students who can't keep up with Common Core. Because the, the other part of Common Core that we keep reading about is that there is a pace that the teachers have to keep up to. That's right. That's what Common Core is about, is that you have to keep this schedule. Right. So if if you're supposed to be on page 27 on Monday, right. you have to be on page 27 on Monday. What about the student who's still confused about page 19? Right. What happens to that student? I have not, and, and this, isn't, this is not a criticism, this is an invitation. If you know what's going to happen to those students, I would love to hear from you. Right. Because I can't find any can't information find on what is going to happen to students who, A, can't keep up with the pace, or B, don't meet the standards. Right. What if a kid is in the ninth grade and can't meet the standards for ninth? What happens to that student? Do they not get a high school diploma? Or what happens if they don't pass the tests? Right. I don't, I've not seen anything. So, listeners, if anybody out there knows what's going to happen, we would love to hear from you. Right, because what we have heard is we've heard from teachers who say, if I'm not on page 27 then I get zapped for it. Right, right. Um, and so the teachers, and if I'm not teaching it the way that the curriculum says I need to be teaching it, I get zapped for it. And lest we forget, we're going to have end of, we're going to have these high stakes tests. They're still in place. They haven't right. gone away right. just, because it, just because we have a new federal law. This whole business of testing and accountability remains, and teachers are going to be held accountable for this. Right. Not parents, not test developers, not anybody from the Gates Foundation, teachers are going to be held accountable for how their students are doing. So if we have inappropriate standards that many kids can't meet, and then we're um, holding teachers accountable for doing what can't be done, um, that's not fair. So the second issue here that we haven't talked about yet is who's going to be held accountable for these 
uh, very high standards. Nobody is opposed, and, and Dr. Bernie and I have said a thousand times, nobody's opposed to high standards. Nobody's opposed to high expectations. I think they should be high. But what happens to those kids who don't meet those expectations? I don't see that being addressed anywhere. Right. And, and we're not opposed to accountability. No. But accountability for what you have control over. Big, yes. That's, that's the right. issue. That's and right. we, we spent a lot of time talking about that again during ep- in episode uh, five uh, of this podcast because, um, you know, who, when you're being held accountable for something that consists of a multitude of variables that you have no control over. That's right. That's a problem. Yeah, because Common Core is a national policy. Right. Okay. And you can't have a national policy that only addresses a single group. Mm -hmm. What I mean by a single group is Common Core works for kids who don't have academic problems, who don't have behavioral problems, who don't have emotional problems, who are able to keep up with the curriculum. It works for them. But we're only talking about 75 or 80% of the students in K-12. In grades K-12, to there's there's only about 75 or 80% of students um, meet that. Who's addressing the needs of the 20 or 25% who are not going to keep up or the 50% who don't want to go to college? Right. Who, yeah. Where are they... Where's the is the national policy addressing any of their needs? Right, and and, and the the answer that we've found so far to those questions is either nothing, nothing's being done about it, that's or right. there's no plan for it, um, and, right. and that seems that that is really the only consistent finding we have as it relates to that stuff. Yeah, the, the, because we can't find anything. Right, the part of the part of the two parts of Common Core that most concern me and. and you, you see a lot of articles when you start reading about Common Core. You think uh, one of the one of the states said it's the homosexualization of the curriculum. You know that somehow Common Core is going to uh, advocate homosexuality, or that it is a government takeover of education. That's not where the problems reside. The problems reside in standards and accountability. Because as you mentioned earlier, you can't hold a person accountable for something they don't have any control over. Right. And to hold teachers accountable for... First of all, when we test a student, we're not just testing that student's learning. And I want to say that again. You're not just testing a student's learning. You're also measuring their state of mind when they're taking the test. Right. You're measuring... Um, um, how they feel about education, how they feel about themselves, what they had for breakfast, if their parents are divorcing. You're not just measuring student learning with these tests. You can't hold a teacher accountable for a kid who was sexually abused the night before. And I'll tell you what, if you were sexually... Hey, if you saw a murder earlier in the week, your reading scores are going to drop. That's not the teacher's fault. That's where that kid lives. And that's what happens to kids who are exposed to homicides in the hallways of their apartment buildings in our major cities. It's the same thing with parents who are divorcing. If your child's taking a test when the parents are divorcing, I'll tell you what, his score is not going to measure just what he learned that year. Right. And and we talked about that a lot in, um, I think it's episode six Mm -hmm. of the podcast, with six children with school refusal. Exactly. We we were talking about the same same situation. That's right. So that's when it comes back to, 
you know, it's okay with measuring accountability. It's okay with being concerned about accountability. We just have to make sure that we measure it in such a way that we're looking at the things that the teacher has control over. That's right. That's right. They don't have control over student values. There are, there are I'm sorry, there are students who don't value education. Right. Nothing wrong with that. That's right. not where their love is. That's where their passion is. Though we could probably... We could probably find the roots of that in preschool and kindergarten where the expectations were so high that it drove them away from wanting to being to caring about learning because, right. hey, I'm not good at this anyway. I can't do so this what, do any- I, what does it matter to me? Exactly. I can't do this anyway. Why bother? Okay, so one is the student value. Second, there are cultural differences. Some students, some cultures value it, some don't, okay? There are neurodevelopmental disorders that children bring into the classroom. Teachers don't have any control over that. There are mental, mental illness Teachers mm-hmm. have no control over that. Motivation. We talked about motivation in a recent podcast. Right. What if a child just isn't motivated to do this? What if they're not motivated to do well on the test? What if a kid just sits there and just circles answers because he's in a right. bad mood that day? Yep. Teacher has no control over that, and yet they're being held accountable. If you have a class of 18 students and two students do poorly on your test, you're going to get dinged for that. Right. Two out of 18 is enough to drop your grade. But it's not your fault. It's not the teacher's fault, and yet they're being held accountable. Um So one of the questions we need to decide is, where does accountability reside? Right. You know, we can't hold parents accountable. We can punish. I mean, I don't know what, I don't know to say we're going to hold kids accountable. How are you going to hold children accountable? Right. You're going to make them repeat a grade. You're going to deny them a high school diploma, which is the very goal that you're trying to achieve. It's to get everybody ready. I don't, the only people you can punish are teachers. Right. Please know this. The only people you can punish are teachers. So they're the ones who are being held accountable. Right. That's wrong. It's all wrong. Because it's a punishment mentality. It's a punishment mentality. Because so. we, and, 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 you know, the, the, even the idea of, um, you know, holding students back. Again, we know from research that the best way to ensure, to, to increase the likelihood that a student is going to drop out of school is to retain him. That's right. That's one of the best predictors of uh, school dropout Mm -hmm. is retention. That's right. So we're not considering all of this stuff as we're looking at it. We're we're, we're acting as though all of these systems behave in isolation, Mm -hmm. and they all intermingle. They they all influence each other. The new law that we mentioned earlier, that um, ESSA, um, Every Every Student Succeeds Act, um, that was that had bipartisan approval, right. uh, Democrats and Republicans. And one of the Republicans on the committee said, we have to fix this broken law. And the broken law he was referring to was no child left behind. Right. We learned with um, almost 15 years of no child left behind, about 14 years of no child left behind, we learned what doesn't work. Right. Okay. We learned that high stakes tests don't do anything. We learned, and one of the things we learned was the punishment doesn't do anything. Punishing these teachers doesn't make anybody better. Right. Punishing the students doesn't make them better. Retaining students doesn't change anything. So, my goodness, we learned so many lessons from No Child Left Behind. Let's not repeat those same lessons with Common Core. Right. And I'm afraid we're backing into some of the same problems. We were also encouraged uh, when the, uh, with the Obama administration and the new Secretary of Education, Arnie Duncan, but it was just more of the same. It was more testing. It was more teacher accountability. It was more school choice. 
those aren't the solutions. We already know they don't work. Right. We need to come up with new solutions. So let's make sure. Let's not run away from Common Core. Let's not throw the good parts of Common Core out because there are some good parts. And I think the aspirations of Common Core are good. But let's not repeat the same mistakes we made with No Child Left Behind. And I feel that's between standards and accountability. I'm afraid that's what we might do. Right, right. And, and you know, I, I think that something that would make this far easier and and would open the doors to improving some of this is if there was some um, transparency right. in, in the right. development of the standards, if there was some transparency in what the standards are and how, collaboration. where they came from. Right. right. And collaboration. Transparency and collaboration. Right. right. That, that if we knew, as a parent, and uh, Dr. Bernie and I are both, we have both have children in school, I'd really like to know I'd like to have a better idea of what this is all about. Right. It's very hard to get any information about Common Core right. or what the tests are going to look like or what the curriculum is going to look like or what the standards are going to be. And, and part of the reason for that is because it's copywritten and it's owned by a publishing company. It's right. it's it's protected information from the perspective of um, uh, of the publishing company. So, you know, it, it it almost sounds conspiratorial when we talk about it, but it really is... Um, it really is a business in mm-hmm. and of itself. It mm-hmm. has it has developed into a business, a, a, a very expensive lucrative. and mm-hmm. lucrative business. It is um, that mm-hmm. a lot of people are reaping the benefits from. Right. And so, so, so again, but the, the transparency would help. The the collaboration would help. Mm-hmm. Um, having true educators involved would yeah, help. Get, get, the, get, get those experienced teachers involved who've been teaching for 8 or 10 or 12 years. They know how to do this. Right. We've, we've they worked, know what's appropriate. We've worked with publishing companies, and we That's know right. that there are people who are very, very good at developing tests that have no idea the concepts that they're really testing. That's right. They, they, they are good at, good at developing test items and they're good at um, structuring things and operationally defining things but if but many of those same people need the help of prof- other professionals right. to make sure that the content is appropriate right uh, when, mm-hmm. when we developed our test and we were publishing our test we were intricately involved because we knew the concepts and the constructs that we were developing and the concern again with common core is that it's being developed by test makers who are very good at test making. Mm-hmm. They are very good at designing and creating these these kinds of materials. Mm-hmm. But that does not that is not the same thing as knowing the constructs and the concepts that you're attempting to test. Right. That's right. Uh, they, they they are drawing from something. We don't mm-hmm. even know what mm-hmm. because it's not transparent. They're drawing from something and they're creating these standards that are not appropriate. Um, You know, if you're going to develop a test that looks at ADHD, my goodness, you need to have somebody who's an expert in ADHD involved to make sure that it includes the right type of items. One one would think, yeah. Um, And and that doesn't seem to be happening here as far as we can tell. tell. So, you know, again, Common Core is coming. Common Core is on its way. Um, It will... um, we will all be involved with it. Uh, it'll, it'll affect all of us, whether we're teachers or, or parents or students. Um, it's going to be around. You're going to hear much more about it. All that we can hope for 
is that as it becomes more and more of an integral part of our education system, that we'll be able to learn more, Mm -hmm. that we'll be able to understand more, and that more people will talk about it so that we will encourage and hopefully force some transparency and and more collaboration and more developmentally appropriate ways of looking at some of this stuff. Let's not do what we... When No Child Left Behind came, we just allowed it to just envelop all of us. Okay? Right. We just did, everybody did what they were supposed to do because of that do it or else right. uh, mentality. Let's not do that with Common Core. Right. We plan to talk about this again. We plan to continue talking about it as we right. go along. Uh, but please, if anybody can add to this conversation, add to this discussion, we'd love to hear from you. Um, yeah. It's, it's, this, this is going to be what our children are going to have to deal with over the next um, 10 to 15 years. Right. So uh, let's make sure we get it right this time. Okay? Right. Yeah, you can you can leave us messages, write to us, and give us your ideas on our uh, Paydia Facebook page. Uh, so just look up Paydia, P-A-E-D-E-I-A, on Facebook, and you can uh, uh, like us there, and you can follow um, all that we're posting there. We, we post a lot of educational and um, uh, child-related uh, topics there, articles there, um, and we're doing more and more writing that we'll be we'll be posting up there. Uh, so we'd love to hear from you, hear your ideas and concerns and issues with with Common Core, but our education system in general. Um, just a couple of other announcements. Um, I, I we have some a workshop coming up on motivation here in our our area here in in Polk County in Central Florida. Um, if you're in the area and you would love to, we'd love to meet you. We'd love to, for you to be part of this workshop. We're going to be talking about creating motivation, uh, which I think is going to be a great, uh, a great topic. I'm really looking, looking forward, forward to this 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 workshop. Right. Um, we also have some workshops that's coming up for for at different school districts and different areas around the state, um, talking about some of the same stuff. Uh, I think it's going to be it's going to be great. It's going to if you are interested in us coming to talk to your school district or talk to your parent or teacher association, if it, get in touch with us. Let us know. We, we are happy to we're happy to travel. We're happy to to lead some discussions or even participate in discussions about mm-hmm. some of these issues. However, we can be involved uh, because again, as we always say, it, it's through our discussions that we're going to elicit change. So um, we'd love to be involved. Reach out to us. Contact us through uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter. However you can get in touch with us, get in touch with us. And um, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, If you're on iTunes, we'd love to hear from you there. Uh, Mm -hmm. Write a review. um, Rate us or, or however just to... Because every time you do that, more and more people can learn about this podcast and join in in the conversation, uh, and the more the better. Right. Right? Yep. Love to hear from you. So that was our that was our Common Core talk, at least for the information that we have that's, for now. That's the beginning. So I hope I hope it was helpful. Uh, it was for me. Uh, it was for us. Right. As um, we're going through We it. feel like we're develop, beginning to develop some understanding. Um, we don't want to... Um, we don't. Uh, Dr. Bernie mentioned this conspiratorial view of yeah. things. I don't think we're conspiratorial, but I think we're uh, we're we're reading this, um, reading as much as we can about it, learning as much as we can about it. So uh, help us stay up to date and informed, and keep the discussion going. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. So until next week, um, I'm Dr. Bernie, and I'm Dr. Richard, and. I hope you this have a great week, a great the week, holiday. The week before Christmas. This is the week of Christmas. It's a, a, upon a, us. A great Christmas. It is upon us. We will right. be back next weekend, and we will talk about um, something else, uh, maybe. 
We don't know. We, <laughs> it depends. Some new information may come out, and we may right. talk about that. So You all enjoy your week. Yeah. Um, whatever you do, however you do it, um, enjoy it. Great. Enjoy your kids during their break ah, from Christmas. There you go. Enjoy your children. Yes, right. All right. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Thank you.